When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Episode 147 of the Shock Shock Mix podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network. Sean St. Jacques here with you once again. Talking Knicks, talking NBA, the show that hasn't missed a week of podcasting in years. We're excited to be back for another show. Um, We'll talk Knicks. We'll talk some Knicks, as always, to lead the show this week. But before we get to that, we will also mention that we will be talking all of the wild and wacky moments from the beginning of the NBA playoffs, as well to the drama in Memphis, to the wild shots in Toronto, to everything in between the nuts series going on between the Nets and the Celtics. Everything will be covered. And of course, the big injury in Phoenix as well involving Devin Booker and how that could not only potentially impact that series, but the rest of the NBA playoffs. So before we get to all of that, all the playoff drama on and off the court, we start in New York with the Knicks as always. Most of what we're going to talk about today is surrounding Jalen Brunson and the potential of bringing him to the Knicks. It's kind of come back into the conversation over the last week and just wanted to give my thoughts on it. It's been a while since we've touched on free agents or, you know, moves not involving the draft to make the Knicks better. And obviously the Knicks for years, (laughs) for years have needed a point guard. And to be fair, Jalen Brunson has been a player in years past that we've talked about as being a possibility on this show, whether it's because of reports, who's available, things of that nature. Um, There have been people who have been, you know, kind of warning the Knicks against taking Jalen Brunson. They kind of, some have called him, you know, a poor man's, you know, Fred Van Fleet, another player who has been in, you know, on the Knicks' radar in years past, Van Fleet, uh, you know, has been leading those Raptors teams in the playoffs the last few seasons. So it's going to be interesting because I, I, you look at that comparison, right? And off the bat, you know, size comes into play. You know, Jalen Brunson, I think, is just over six feet tall. I think he's maybe six and a half, something like that. Or I should say you know, six and a half inch, something like along those lines. I'm not sure if he's quite six one, but he's just over six feet tall. So they talk about the size first. Red Van Fleet is a smaller guard as well. And they just talk about, for me, I think the biggest thing that comes up with Jalen Brunson as a knock is that he doesn't take a lot of threes, but he has a pretty good percentage of what he takes 
that he makes. You know, his, his makes for what he takes are good. His, his percentage is solid, but he doesn't take a high volume of threes. And in today's NBA, if you're a guard, that's not great. You know, especially if you're a guard that's relied on to score. Not that Jalen Brunson is, but point guards need to score in the NBA to a certain degree. They've always needed to. And he's not a guard that you can rely on to put on, you know, a, a ton of big nights as far as scoring the basketball. However, he provides something that the Knicks haven't had for almost a generation, which is a point guard that can penetrate and create for others consistently. And I can't even come close to telling you the last time the Knicks had a guard that did that consistently, right? I mean, you can talk about maybe, maybe Raymond Felton throwing him into that conversation. But other than that, in the last 10 years of Knicks basketball, I struggle to find somebody that fits that role as a point guard. And Jalen Brunson would certainly be a huge upgrade over what the Knicks currently have. And I think the part of his game that gets underrated is his defense. I think Jalen Brunson, for his size and his position, is a guy who's going to fight on the defensive end of the floor and give you a good shift and give you good minutes on that end of the floor. And I think that that is huge. You know, again, you look at what the Knicks currently have, and, and listen, I love what Quentin Grimes is bringing to the table. Emmanuel quickly needs to be part of this team, unless the Knicks, you know, ship everybody and either blow it up or get a big star. But you know, quickly you would expect to be in that conversation. He's made an impact. But defensively, the Knicks don't have a great guard really on the roster. I mean, RJ Barrett is a good defender, but point guard wise, the Knicks don't have that. They really don't and haven't. <laughs> they really, again, you, you, you got to go back years to really find somebody that fits that mold. So this is a, I think, a move the Knicks should think about. I always have big trepidation over these moves. I think there's some moves that get me excited, and you know, it's almost like I wish the Knicks would do that kind of a thing. But there hasn't been many moves, you know, lately with the Knicks in a long time, really, in a long time, where you kind of go, man, the Knicks, you know, should do this. They should do this, and this is another one where you kind of go, but are they? But are they going to do it? I, I always, you know, I have to temper my expectations with the Knicks because you see so many ways they can improve, right? And then the first little nugget is you get a report who they're talking to. And it's always never who you think it's going to be, at least in my case, or who you want it to be. And you go, they're not even talking to this person. They're like, like this person who would be a great fit. They haven't even reached out to them. Like that kind of a thing. And you know, listen, Jalen Brunson's been talked about before, but nothing's come close to happening. I'm worried that this is another situation where, again, the Knicks could get better at a position they desperately need to improve, that they've needed to improve forever, that they've never addressed in the draft, that they can't get going in free agency or via a trade. And it's right there for them to potentially do something. Now, the tough part with Jalen Brunson, and to be fair, this, this, could, this could be said for a number of Knicks targets that they don't end up getting, a lot of people are going to want Jalen Brunson during this offseason. And with the way the Knicks season ended, 
I you could easily see Jalen Brunson talking to his agent, talking to his to his family and his people, and saying, "Ooh, I don't know if I want to go there." Now, what the Knicks have that he would like is they have a a role for him, a big role, more minutes, a starting role. Jalen Brunson, I think, is twenty five. Could have a starting role with the Knicks if he plays well for years to come, like three to five years, we're talking. He could be a factor at the Garden, a place that, for those that follow college basketball, Jalen Brunson's had lots of success, uh, you know, in the pros too. But, you know, with Villanova, had phenomenal nights at the Garden winning Big East championships. So I, I think this is a case with him that again he's a winner he's been a winner since college and all the way up and and things like that he's been on good teams in the nba with this dallas outfit but he brings some culture as far as his winning and his leadership he brings you a great ball handler guy that's smart can get in the lane great basketball iq and from all accounts, never had the chance to, to interview Jalen Brunson, but he's, he's a phenomenal person as well and could really bring quite a bit to what the Knicks need, to what the Knicks need, which is a guard, right? On the court stuff first, a guard that can handle the ball and run the show. Someone who can be a leader on this team. Boy, have we kind of found out the Knicks need that during the offseason. You know, because when the Knicks are winning, right, when your team's winning, leadership's great. You have it, but winning kind of carries the day. It's the times when things aren't going well, when you need your leaders to step up. And the Knicks showed that they have cracks in that foundation. You know, guys, listen, they have the guys that can do it, but it didn't happen. It didn't work. You know, guys like Taj Gibson and Derrick Rose either didn't play enough in the case of the former, or were hurt in the case of the latter. You don't have leaders on the court, right? And Jalen Brunson can be your leader on the court. Something the Knicks just haven't had for so long at the point guard position. The best NBA teams, the the contending NBA teams, have a point guard who is bona fide a star or can lead can run the show. And we're seeing that in the playoffs. We're seeing that in the playoffs, how it's been going so far. The best teams have it. The best teams, the guys who are bringing the ball up the floor are legit on and off the court, almost all of them. And I'm not saying Jalen Brunson, you know, is a top 10 point guard in the NBA. I'm not saying that. But he's a leader and he's a damn good point guard. And the Knicks need a good point guard. You just need a good one to get this team back on track. I mean, it's it seems simple, but I really feel like this team is still a piece or two away from getting to the heights that we thought they were going to get to last year, which is competing in the playoffs. You know, we got a taste of it a couple of seasons ago, and now, after a disappointing 2021-2022 season, the goal is to get back to what we saw in 2020-2021. That's the goal. That's the hope. And who knows? I think Jalen Brunson 
potentially, if the Knicks can get him, again, he's going to be a, he's going to be a guy that a lot of teams want, could provide that role and fit that need for a team that desperately could use somebody like him at their disposal. Let me know what you guys think. As always, I try to tread lightly here because I, I never know. No one ever knows what the Knicks are going to do. I don't even know if the Knicks know sometimes what they're going to do with some of this stuff. And who knows? But Jalen Brunson has come on the Knicks' radar multiple times in the past. And we'll await to see what the Knicks decide to do and if they'll even talk to him and, and try to work something out. So we'll see. Well, let's move on, though, to the NBA playoffs. We got a lot of NBA playoffs to get to on the show this week uh, it's all kicked off the playing games finished up basically the day or two after the last podcast uh, with Atlanta winning in Cleveland as I thought they would um, Cle- Cleveland I'll, I'll give them credit Cleveland came out and played really well for the first three quarters but the the fourth was all about the Hawks and they they came back and they took complete command of that game very very quickly and then you got to give a ton of credit to the New Orleans Pelicans going into the, I almost said Staples Center again, Crypto.com Arena, and beating the Clippers, knocking them out of the playoffs. So Minnesota and New Orleans advanced out of the play-in, and in the East it was, of course, the Nets who are in a, boy, are they in a battle right now with the Celtics, and of course the Atlanta Hawks who are, as we'll get to, in quite a bit of trouble down here on South Beach with the Miami Heat. So, let's start on Saturday. Saturday was a ton of fun, I have to say. Uh, The Jazz Mavericks series, getting no Luka in Game 1. Utah takes full advantage and wins it 99-93. And listen, I I thought Dallas was going to win this series. Um, uh, You know, when it first happened, because, listen, I love the Jazz but in, in series where they don't have home court, they tend to struggle. Well, they got home court back right away without Luka available. And we'll dive into this series a little bit more as it goes on um, and, and on the show too. But just to go date, we're kind of going to go day by day here because there's a lot that happened. Um, I was impressed with the way Utah handled the game um, because Dallas, you know, showed up. They weren't going to just lie down without Luka. They played really well, but Utah on the road, hostile environment. Dallas is a a solid, solid atmosphere for playoff games. They took care of business, and it was very, very impressive. However, not as impressive, it must be said, as what the Timberwolves did later on that night, going to Memphis and not only winning, but winning by double figures, 130 to 117, over the Memphis Grizzlies. That might have been the stunner of uh, of the night. No question about it. It was really, really impressive to see Anthony Edwards just putting on a show on the road. And, you know, we briefly talked about this last week. Maybe not enough, frankly. But Anthony Edwards had such a huge performance in the play-in game, in particular against the Clippers in a game where... You know, L.A. was just kind of using their veteran savvy to get under the knee, underneath of the skin of Carl Anthony Towns and this young team and a crowd that's, you know, just thirsty for good basketball again. And it was effective. It was effective for most of the game. And they had a lead in the fourth quarter, the Clippers did. 
And I actually had to turn the game off because I was doing some other work for, for some games I was calling. And I was like, I, I can't, I'm going to get distracted here. I got to finish up what I have to do. And I'm thinking when I come back, the Clippers are going to win the game. No, no. When I came back, Russell and Edwards handled their business without Carl Anthony Towns, who was just having a terrible night shooting the ball, was in foul trouble all night while the Timberwolves won the game. And it was very impressive to watch back the last five minutes of that game. It was very, very fun to see a team where their star wasn't playing well, didn't have it, and to see the supporting cast, including a youngster in his second season out of Georgia in Anthony Edwards, who hadn't played in a big game like that before, step up. And he did it again in game one. Extremely impressive to watch him and we got a series. We've got a series between the Timberwolves and the Grizzlies. That's been a very, very interesting series. Sixers smacked around the Raptors in game one. I didn't expect it to be a blowout, but I did expect the Sixers to win. Uh, we'll get to the nuts couple of games after that in a second, but they were able to take care of business. And then Golden State against a Nuggets team that had a good season, but again, is not whole at the moment, took care of business in game one. And then game, I should say, game, the game one's the next day. I, I mean, let's be very clear on this. There was only one good game the next game, maybe one and a half with Bucks Bulls being in that conversation. But Celtics-Nets then just took over the playoffs. So since Sunday, since Sunday, it's been all about, in my opinion, at least in my universe of NBA basketball, Celtics-Nets. Everyone's talking about Celtics-Nets, and rightfully so. Listen, the Heat have waxed the, the Hawks twice over two games. The Hawks made it somewhat close in game two, but, but the Heat are the much better team. I, I wasn't... I'm not, I'll say this. I wasn't totally surprised the Heat took care of business, but we've seen the Hawks overachieve you know, for a little over a year now, and you're kind of expecting them to be better than that and the Hawks looked you know looked like boys against men frankly in the first two games they were thoroughly beaten in game one they were beaten pretty good again in game two the Heat have a stranglehold over this series and we'll see if the Hawks can claw this back you know no pun intended uh in game three they're gonna have a great crowd behind them it's a great atmosphere to play basketball in the playoffs but they're up against a very very strong Miami Heat team that are going to be in the mix in these playoffs so we'll see listen the Bucks and Bulls have had a good series so far as well game two was pretty nuts as well but um the Bucks won 93 86 in game one it wasn't a nothing game I just felt like nothing really big happened and it got overshadowed again by Celtics Nets and then the Suns you know before the Booker situation took place uh it was sunshines and rainbows and an 11 point win over the Pelicans and we'll get to them in more detail in a second but what a game in Boston in game one game two was pretty darn good as well but game one has been the game of the playoffs so far Nets were in control for most of it I would say I mean I think when when you look back at the, at game one of the series, I think the biggest thing that the Nets that Nets fans will take away is how they let it slip away in the fourth. I mean, the, I think the biggest thing that comes up, right, is 
initially, well, I'll say this. It was even at the half. I think it was a relatively even game, and you saw the best of both teams at different times. But despite how well the Nets played in the first half, the Celtics took an 11-point lead. I guess it was a... um, you know, it was an 11-point lead uh, going into the fourth, and you're kind of thinking, this might be it. You know, the Nets, Nets have to respond here. This is where your stars step up, and the Nets stepped up. They really did. I mean, the Nets had a big lead in the first half, but the Celtics made it you know, kind of go away. And, and then the Nets had to chip away at a big lead, and they were in control with about 50 seconds left, and... Let it slip away, frankly. You know, the, the, the Celtics' defense in this series has just been tremendous, and, and Game 2 really highlighted that. But the final play stands out. The Celtics have been on, the, on, the, on both ends of crazy finishes this season. The Knicks know about that uh, on both ends, frankly. But the, the Nets have played in some nuts games this season. Again, without Robert Williams as well, by the way. Um, spoiler, spoiler alert. Uh, they're up to nothing, so you, you kind of know how this ends. For everyone's seen it at this point, but it's just a crazy scramble at the end. Ime Udoka doesn't call a timeout and lets the Celtics figure it out, and it leads to initially Marcus Smart getting ready to pull up for what would have been a terrible look as a last shot. He swarmed on the left wing, no need to even take the shot there. But luckily, he realized it because he looked like he was taking it. Live, he looked like he was taking that shot. He stops himself, realizes that Tatum is in a better spot, at least slightly better, because Tatum had a lot to do from where he receives the ball. Tatum gets it, spins around a defender in the final seconds, and lays it in at the buzzer. And the Celtics go from a, basically a, from about to lose by one on a Hail Mary that comes up short to spinning into the lane and laying it up at the buzzer to win by one. And they win it 115-114. I mean, just a bonkers finish in Boston. And uh, despite the Nets clawing it back in the fourth, they had the lead late. They had a big lead early. I think of maybe 16 or 17 points, something like that in the second quarter. They can't hang on to any of it. And they dropped a game that I thought they should have won. The Nets. I really did. I, they, they did enough in the fourth to win it. And the Celtics ripped it away from them. And, you know, listen, game two was very good as well. Now I'm starting to bounce around a little bit. But game game two was good. It was a good game. But the Celtics, I mean, absolutely bullied them defensively in the fourth. The last seven, eight minutes of that game was just a, was a, a clinic on how to defend. It, it was really quite impressive. So Boston's in control. The scene shifts to Brooklyn where the Nets need a big performance in game three, and we'll see if they'll get it. But listen, the Sixers have been rolling as well. Game two was another, you know, pretty much a one-sided affair. Matt, uh, to say Dallas got back on track against Utah in game two. That, that series has been fun so far. Very nip and tuck. Two very even teams, and Dallas is trying to finally get a playoff series win with Luka. They haven't had it yet, and normally it's been the Clippers that have been taking them out, but now it's it's Utah, and it feels like this might be it. I, again, I picked Dallas to win. They've lost home court, but Luka's back, and we'll see 
if they can finally get it done. Um, Golden State, you know, again, it just seems like they've outmatched Denver. This felt like a good playoff matchup for them going into the series, you know. And it's turned out that way, you know, through the first two games. Again, scene shifts to Denver. You never know. Another great crowd. But um, I kind of feel like Golden State did what they had to do in the first two games. And I think they'll win one in Denver and probably close it out in five. I think that's probably what's going to happen in that series. You know, again, I mentioned this earlier, but, you know, the Heat was a little bit tighter in game two. But I still thought the Heat Heat would—pardon me, goodness— the Heat were the much better team. They really were. I thought the Hawks were outmatched in both of the of the opening two games. The scene shifts to Atlanta, and we will see. You know, again, some of these games will happen the night the podcast is recorded or the day it goes out. So we won't have an update on everything. But to this point, the Heat have been the much better team in the series. And if the Hawks are going to get back into this series, they're going to need to rely heavily on that home court and as good as it is, there you know teams that have to rely on home court to get back into a series. It, it doesn't always go very well for them. So we'll see. You know we'll have to see what happens. You know it was nice to see Memphis respond in Game Two with with a twenty eight point win. You know I, I got a little worried. I I will say, got a little bit worried um, at the end of the first quarter. I mean the Grizzlies had the lead, but I was just kind of thinking. Boy, if the Timberwolves do what they did in game one here, this could be getting, this could be interesting territory here. But then, you know, the the Timberwolves, I think, scored only 17 points in the second quarter, and it was a rout from that point on. Very convincing win. Memphis wakes up in game two, and they are very much back in the series. And I still think they're the favorites, but I was kind of thinking the Timberwolves, if they got a little bit ahead of steam, could make this a series. So far, they have. So, We'll see. They have home court as well, Minnesota. So let's see how they use it in games three and four. If they can grab a win or two, two would make it crazy interesting, but they can grab a win. Just make it 2-2 heading back to Memphis. Things get very interesting potentially in this series. Now let's talk about Phoenix. I, I did want to swing around to this. We'll get to game three between Philly and Toronto in a second, but... Really quick, because I actually do have to take a break, and I, wow, I whipped right past the break. I apologize for that. Let's do Minnesota, and and uh, we did Minnesota and, and Memphis. We'll do Suns, Pelicans, we'll take the break, and then we'll cover the rest after the break. But Devin Booker being out's a big deal, obviously. Best player on the team, best player on the best team, potentially, um, this season. But that injury makes this a very different series, potentially. Again, they, they did it without Chris Paul last year, but Devin Booker is their guy. So Pelicans took full advantage. They won 125-114 in Phoenix in Game 2. That is now a series, no question about it. No Devin Booker. And I... I oh, th- this becomes very, very worrisome for the Suns because they were able to kind of work it out without him and uh, without Chris Paul until he came back in the playoffs last year. However, this is a, you know, a right hamstring strain. Uh, I think it's a grade one, which means he'll probably be out for two to three weeks in all likelihood. And that means, you know, potentially we're talking Western conference finals by the time 
Devin Booker's ready to go, and it's a hamstring, which are very hamstrings are very difficult to deal with. For anyone that's injured their hamstring or anything like that, you would know. It's very tricky to know when to come back and start doing what you're doing on that hamstring. So it'll be very, very fascinating to see how Phoenix handles this. They have to go on the road as well for games three and four. It's going to be very, I should say this, it's a big opportunity. This is a very big opportunity for New Orleans to to make a little bit of history here. We'll see. We'll see. It's a deep team. Phoenix has a lot of other talent. Chris Paul and company will be up for it, but this series could get very interesting very quickly now that Devin Booker could be out for a month, but or at least two to three weeks. So we'll keep an eye on that as the playoffs move on. Missed my break again. I apologize for that. It's just too fun at the moment talking playoff basketball. We will take the break here when we come back. Craziness up north in Toronto. And what is going to come next between the Nets and the Celtics? All that and more is next on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network. All right, we're back on track. Second, somewhat second part of the show. We'll we'll wrap things up here uh, with some more playoff talk. And why not? It's been a really fun start to the NBA playoffs. Uh, We do have to touch on what happened in Toronto on Wednesday. Uh, A crazy good game. A game that saw the Raptors fighting for their lives. You know, no NBA team has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit. Only an MLB team and an NHL team have ever done that. So it, it has never happened in the history of the NBA. And the Raptors knew that going in. They've been up against it before in the playoffs, in these situations, and they've come through, sometimes even turned it around. They couldn't do it last night. It was a heck of a performance by the Sixers in the third quarter in particular. I mean, Raptors had a double-digit lead at the break. Sixers took, uh, or I should say, uh, really cut that lead down. They dwindled that lead down to one. Going into the fourth, they forced it into overtime, and it was tied with seconds left in overtime. Looked like we were going to go to to double OT, and Joel Embiid hits a turnaround three, basically uncontested on the inbounds play. Toronto completely, completely missed it on the inbounds. I don't know who was supposed to guard who, but they were completely confused, and Joel Embiid hits a very tough, even though it wasn't contested, it's a very tough shot. Very difficult turnaround three-point jumper, and he hits it at the buzzer of the shot clock, I should say. He didn't hit it at the buzzer of the game clock. Hit it at the buzzer of the shot clock, which was very low at the time, and hit it with seven-tenths of a second left in the game, and the Raptors blew it, frankly, at the end. They had a really good chance in the third and the fourth to finish it. They couldn't do it, and then in overtime, they had a chance to send it to a second overtime period, and they completely got stretched apart on the inbounds. I don't know. I still don't quite know what happened, but they didn't execute it well at all. And Embiid buries it with seven tenths left. A bit of revenge, I would say, actually, uh, for the Kawhi shot in Game Seven of was it the Eastern Conference Finals or at least the semis uh, a few years ago, the year the Raptors won the title. So Kawhi hit the shot to knock Philly out a few years ago, and Joel Embiid returns 
to Toronto and sticks a knife in the Raptors' hearts here, most likely, barring a miracle, ending the series, that uh, at least with any serious interest. Because that that's, that's that, pretty much. Unless the Raptors do something that's never been done before, Philly just wrapped up this first round series. And, and frankly, Philly's been the much better team. I think over the three games, there's, there's not really much debating that. Raptors have been in it. I mean, they've been competing. I'm not saying that, but Philly's the much better team. And, and they've shown that so far over the three games. And they get a very clutch shot from Joel Embiid to essentially wrap the series up. And they could sweep uh, on Saturday, I believe, when they go back and play game four north of the border big time moment for Joel Embiid in a career where he's been clutch but not necessarily clutch in the biggest of moments at times and has been on teams that have mentally faltered in big games that feels like a big over the hump kind of moment for him and the Sixers now it's not in you know a late you know semi-final or a conference final or an NBA final they've never been there but it's a big playoff game, and Joel Embiid hits the game-winning shot. You know, that's a big deal. Against a team that that has knocked them out via a buzzer beater in the past. That that's We call that in the biz exercising some demons right there. And we'll see if Philly can take that, use some of that momentum, and finish this series off and, and go on from there if... If things go as they're going, they're likely going to face Miami in the second round. And that's going to be a hell of a series if we get to that point. So big shot, big moment. Uh, Philly fans, as obnoxious as they are, I'm sure are very happy with how it turned out. And um, again, a little bit of revenge. A little bit of revenge for a few years ago when Kawhi hit the shot over Joel Embiid that bounced in at the buzzer to win game seven and break Philly hearts. So we'll see. We'll see what Philly looks like potentially against Miami in that second round series because this series is just about done and dusted. Last game we'll talk about uh, in the playoffs for these last run of games that have actually, you know, that have already happened, of course, at the time of recording. Big bounce back win by the Bulls. Uh, pardon the alliteration there. But the Bulls just absolutely thumped their way back into this series with the defending champs. It was very impressive. I, I feel like the Bulls have been lacking a signature win for months now. I, I I don't remember the last time the Bulls had won, you know, a big game in a big circumstance against a good team. For the most part, they've been they've been faltering. You know, they've been kind of coming back down to earth over the last few months. And and to be fair, they nearly let the Bucks snatch this away from them. You know, uh, the Bulls had a double digit lead for most of the night, and then in the third, the Bucks got back into it and nearly finished them off. But the Bulls held on, 114 to 110, and this puppy is tied at one, going to Chi-Town for games three and four. And I can't wait. This series has finally got a little bit of intrigue to it. I thought the Bucks, if they were, if they would have won this game, especially in the fashion, you know, coming from behind, probably end the Bulls' season there. You know, that that felt that could have been a moment where the Bulls' season comes to an end, but they hold on and they make this a series, going to I should say, leaving Milwaukee and going to Chicago for game three and game four. So this come this this is now a series to watch, I think. This is a series now you gotta pay some some attention to because I think the Bulls might make this very interesting and the defending champs might might have a challenge uh, ahead of them here. I mean listen, you know, DeMar DeRozan had to play extremely well. 
but it was on the road. You know, sometimes on the road, you need your stars to come up with big performances. Brooklyn would have wished that KD did that the other night. KD was terrible in the fourth quarter for Brooklyn. Couldn't hit a shot. He could only make free throws that night. So DeMar DeRozan comes up with 41 points in Milwaukee in, you know, a, a series that there, there's a rivalry between these two. You know, Chicago and Milwaukee are very close to each other in proximity. And the cities, you know, have a little bit of riff with each other. You know, Brewers and Cubs, you know, that kind of a, that kind of a thing. So those two cities, not the fondest of one another. And we've got a tight series going to Chicago where it's going to be electric for games three and four. You know, the madhouse on Madison never disappoints. So it's going to be fun. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm going to have my eyes glued if I can uh, to games three and four in this series. It's going to be a ton of fun. And it's great to see, you know, Vucevic had a big night. It was great to see Caruso with double digit assists. I mean, Giannis was, Giannis was tremendous. He was an assist shy of a 33 and 18 triple double Uh, he was just (laughs) i mean he was mvp good but it wasn't good enough the bulls got a better performance scoring wise from demar Derozan, and they held on to win 114 to 110 and we got a series between these two it's it's a lot of fun no question about it again we won't be able to touch on you know the games on thursday or friday until Next week, but the Timberwolves and Grizzlies, game three is one to watch. Jazz Mavericks, game three, that's a big one. Winner of that game could potentially go on and win the series. And the Nuggets are fighting for their playoff lives, down 2-0 against the Warriors, game three in mile high. So that one is going to be a very important game for Denver's season as well and just quickly the friday games are solid also heat hawks at seven with the hawks fighting for their season hopes if they lose that game that series is essentially over and then bulls bucks you got to watch it game three in chicago chicago is one of my favorite cities i've been to you know for work and for play really a ton of fun i can't wait to see that series play out in chicago the fans there are great and then what are the what are the Bookerless Suns going to look like going to New Orleans to take on a a thirsty Pelicans franchise that just wants a moment or two in the sun? The Suns need to be red hot, or the Pelicans might just snatch the momentum away from them in this series. So, a lot of intrigue, a lot of drama, and we haven't even mentioned Game Three between Celtics Nets. I mean, it's it's just getting good. It's just getting. Very good indeed. Of course, Celtics Nets will pick back up on Saturday night in Brooklyn. So, and that's going to be a great atmosphere. Again, Brooklyn fans, you know, they were chanting, we want Boston when they beat Cleveland in the play-in round and they got them. Oh boy, do they they got them. And they've got their hands full so far. So game three is going to be electric. KD needs a redemption arc. My goodness, I still can't believe how poor KD was in the fourth quarter. I can't remember the last time I saw KD struggle that poorly in a quarter of basketball in a game like that that matters so much. So we'll see. I mean, but again, again, it should be worth, I should say, you know, it's worth repeating, right? The Celtics' defense was tremendous all night. I forget who the analyst on the game was, but it might have been, might have actually been Stan Van Gundy. Um, who said he can't remember the last time a team defensively guarded KD that well for 48 minutes. 
he knows he knows med- way better than all of us. So I, I would, you know, he's a guy that you would you'd take that and you'd say, wow, that's that's remarkable. That's pretty impressive. So fair enough to Boston and Brooklyn. They got a heck of a series going on, and uh, the stars of Brooklyn in this topsy turvy season where everything has been nuts. They've been on a roller coaster on and off the court all year. This is a grudge match now, and Brooklyn is got they've got their backs against the wall in Game Three. We will see how they come out and how they play. Because if they don't win this game, if they don't win this game, they're not getting back in this series. No question in my mind. They're done. They're done. I don't care if KD scores 100 points. They're done. You know, Boston will finish them off. So it's, it's winner. It's essentially a winner go home without being a winner go home for Brooklyn on their home floor. And we'll see how they handle it. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast. Thank you all so much, as always, for listening. You can hit me up on Twitter, at SJ7. Let me know what you think about the Knicks offseason plans and the NBA playoffs. And uh, let me know how everything is going in general. But also, you know, you can hit me up in the comments, posting and toasting.com, Shock Shock Knicks podcast logo. Thank you all, as always, so much for listening It means the world to me and everybody at postingandtoasting.com. Stay safe out there, and we will see you all next time on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network.